Jeffrey, it is Friday. We tried to record on Wednesday, but your wife was sick or out of town or both. And then you were sick. You're not working today. I texted you this morning and you said, I barely woke up. I'm dying. I feel like, and then certain words were said mm-hmm. um, that I will not repeat because this is a family show. Yeah. And, and uh, then you were worried about your voice. And I said, drink some Diet Mountain Dew to that'll revive your vocal cords. And I think that worked. I mean, I'm here. I'm here and alive. I just want to, if you're keeping score at home, in when was the Notre Dame game? October? Uh, yes, like October 8th or 9th, something like that. First weekend in October. So, second weekend. Since that weekend, my family has had in our household COVID, then pneumonia. Wait, pneumonia was first. We had pneumonia first, then COVID, now the flu. It's not even January yet. How is that happening? I'm just so confused. It doesn't. I don't know. It, it's. I kind of feel like it's been like that. Like Baker had RSV and he was sick for like two weeks. We've had colds. Like we have not, I think like the week after the Notre Dame game was like the last time I went to church because somebody in my house has been sick since then it, and it's like i'm not gonna send my sick kids to sunbeams and nursery and get everybody else sick it's unreal yeah. so i went to doordash kids like tylenol or whatever because we were you all dying it. dude it was gone no like, so i went to the dashers went, took pictures of the empty shelves and we're like sorry what do you want me to do so, yeah i went to walmart the other night because i needed we ran out of like kids tylenol and i went to grab some and all cold and cough medicine adults and kids like completely wiped out except for like two boxes like it got to the point where somebody like i grabbed a box and then i like there was one other person there that was like oh do you need this instead like an offer to split it and it was like she had ibuprofen but i wanted tylenol so we were both fine but Mm -hmm. it was like people were at the store like offering like hey like i'll go check this out and like we can go pay for this and then i'll give you half of it if you need it right now because you cannot find any i think everybody in america is sick right now everybody Everybody is sick. And so as a result of everybody being sick, it felt like I can't I can't tell you no this morning. I can't say, hey, let's cancel the show or you go find a sub because we're all putting forth a little bit of extra effort because the whole world is sick. So if if everybody else could do it, so can I. We're if, all in this together. If I cough in the middle, I'm sorry. Deal with it. It is what we it is what it is, right? We are where we are. What other cliches can I throw on the end of that? Um, Whatever. You might have to speak slow in the middle of the show. My processing speed. Your, your uh, brain is just not. Yeah, I, I, not I don't what have the normal is. RAM capacity up up in my brain right now that I typically have. I'm I'm out of RAM. So okay. So we, we need to just FYI. be mindful of that then. Yeah. Yep. That it, things are not things are not going. But it is tomorrow. It is the last game of the season for the Cougies and I'm not going to lie. It's kind of depressing, but also mostly depressing that it's like, this is the first year I've ever really felt like bulls are truly worthless, right? Like it's almost so for a long time, right? Like there were stats, like they didn't start including bowl games and stats until like 2004 or something like that. It was sometime mm-hmm. after Ron Dane. Cause like Ron Dane, if you included bull stats would still be the NCAA's all time leading rusher, but what's his face 
Pumphrey from San Diego State broke the record a couple of years ago, and the only reason he broke it is because he got bowl stats included, but not. But if you look on Sports Reference, they retroactively included bowl stats. I feel like bowl stats need to be excluded again just because they are like it's like a glorified spring game almost. Like it's it's becoming a scrimmage with so many guys opting out. You know, previously you'd have the like this team was disappointed; they really didn't want to be there, like that kind of thing. But now it's like you have teams where it's like 15 guys entered the portal. People are hurt. Guys are declaring for the draft. You have guys like Ohio state is in the freaking playoff and has guys who are sitting out. Cause they're like, eh, well, I mean, I know what's his face. It's like, he was already banged up. So he was going to be iffy to play anyway. So he just called it, but it's still like you have guys it's publicly bizarre. announcing that they are not going to play in the college football playoff because they're more worried, you know, just about whatever. So it's like, the feeling around bowl games is just so different than what it has always been that it's, you know, tomorrow we're looking at, you know, we got a whole mess of injuries. I think uh, all three starting, well, Keenan Peely's in the portal, Max Julie had a season ending injury. uh, So we might have Ben Bywater. Otherwise we're looking at the twos on the two deep as our starting linebackers. Jaron Hall's not going to play. Jacob Conover is, was in the portal, but already moved over to uh already moved over to arizona state so that is you know not like we don't even know who's available puka's probably not going to play and they and so it's just like all of these things but then it's like i have no idea who smu has i know their number one and their number three receivers are out and like their backup running back but i believe tanner mordecai is playing their starting running back is playing i don't know who they're missing on their defense which their defense was worse than ours as magically possible as that is so it's i just it's like i have no idea what to expect on this the total on this game when it opened it was like 73 and a half and now it's down to like 62 it's moved like a double digits on the total and i still would take the under just because i have no idea what to expect especially from the quarterback position whether that is Saul J. myalva peters or Cade finnegan or nick billups i kind of feel like the safest thing is to just run with Billups because dude can scoot, right? Like just freaking run the ball a thousand times, like attempt three passes the entire game. And let's, let's see Nick Billups have a Taysom 2013 versus Texas. He rushes for 250 yards and we just get out of there with the win. That's, that's yeah, the safest it, option. It, it's going to be really interesting. SMU can't play defense. I, I mean, so, so, it really is kind of a just a crap fest of a game. It's going to be a shootout. I don't think that BYU, because of the quarterback situation, like the Cougars can't get into a, like an old fashioned whack shootout where you're scoring via big play and you know three or four play drives and then a sixty yard home run every time. That's not going to work. They'll lose that game. What BYU is going to have to do is rush the ball, rely on Chris Brooks. Like your defense in this game is going to have to be. Just keep them on the sideline. Ball control. Yeah, and that's that's what it's going to be. So I would take the under two, not because I think anybody's getting any stops, even with backup quarterbacks playing. I just don't think that BYU is going to try to go very fast at all. And so even yeah, if everybody scores on every possession, I, I see this game being, you know, 30 to 25 type of a game. You know, uh, what is kind of annoying is that Mitch Harper – and KSL Sports are two. 
their their what do you call it SEO? Their search engine optimization is too good. If I search Tanner Mordecai SMU bowl game to see even see like is he banged up? Is he going to play? Whatever. I cannot find anything because it's all just like reporting from the BYU side of things. If you search BYU SMU bowl game at all, everything you come up with is from KSL. So SMU well, needs to step up their me. game. Yeah, that doesn't I mean, surprise it's, me. If SMU, if you want to get in the Big 12, uh, one, that's not going to happen because there's already a team in Dallas. And two, the, well, sorry, Fort Worth. I know people are very particular that Fort Worth is not Dallas. Yeah, but the but, rest of us who aren't there, we're not particular. Yeah. the they It's like you don't have any fans under the age of 70. No. Like no. it's it's such a it's like it's like which is a, a damn shame because I like SMU the program, dude. Their I will say that their like uniforms, like their Dallas uniforms with the like royal and the script Dallas and like the pony on the hill. It is such a classic and clean oh. look that they deserve to they deserve to be you know in a major conference. But here they are; they're stuck on the outside looking in, and that's never going to change. So. Right. It sucks yep. for them. I mean, that's the way it is. Not my problem. I don't care. We made it. All you others can suck it. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what <laughs> like we it, it, it. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm not complaining, right? I mean, it, it's, I'm not complaining, but I do, uh, I do want Arizona and to, <clears throat> and Arizona State to join the Big 12. But that is purely for selfish reasons, so I can attend more BYU games. Well, but, speaking of the Big 12, uh, not to change gears, uh, this news sort of broke yesterday, but now Ryan Bass, of uh, what is he? He's the TV reporter for Bali Sports, covers UCF. He has tweeted out even more news that the Big 12 2023 oh. football schedule is not out until February 1st now. So if you're keeping what, track... What happened this, to December 15th? Yeah, if you're keeping track, this this initially was going to be, uh, I want to say November 15th was the first date that was kind of floated I out I thought there. it was like October. Got, it could have been. And then it got pushed a little bit, and then it got pushed to November, or to, yeah, to December 15th. Now we're not even pushing in like little two-week chunks all the way to February 1st. All of this kind of on the heels of... I don't, I don't know what to call it, but the report from, I guess, Brett McMurphy, I guess it's a report, saying that Texas and Oklahoma are looking to get into the SEC by 2024, which is a year early. Uh, there there might be some something-somethings. And then you throw in the fact that the Pac-12 still hasn't announced their TV deal. I mean, I guess one could argue that they were waiting for whatever political shenanigans was, was going on in California, but I think everybody kind of knew the result of that, there's a lot of weird things that any one of them individually, you know, a scheduling announcement delay, fine, whatever. That by itself, who cares? But, you know, a TV deal not getting announced, that by itself, yeah, it happens. But you start to put all of these things together and look at them kind of in sequential order. I have no idea what's going to happen, and neither does anybody else, but there is enough there that it makes you go, huh, Huh. Feels weird. So the, I can't, I mean, it, it would be weird. It would be weird if there was something to do with Gonzaga, right? Cause the football, even the meetings with Gonzaga, you'd have nothing to do with the football schedule. Right. And so uh, correct. Right. And so that wouldn't matter. 
I mean, maybe you're looking at, it does appear to me, I mean, we talked about this last week, but what's his face, Tim Brando, that maybe Colorado is investing and they, you know, they are the school that has had the most uh, public meetings of their board of regents, specifically where the agenda was discussing Pac-12 athletics. And so maybe they are considering things or like trying to say, hey, we need to push back into being what we were. We've lost our way. You know, we are the prodigal son of the Big 12. Let's go home. Uh, that could be an option. And I think in Jason Shear, the 24-7 writer who's very connected at the University of Arizona, said that he thinks Arizona would be willing to make the move, but they don't want to do it alone, which kind of makes sense because if they if they go or make their intentions known, and then they kind of get screwed over in the Pac-12 or something, but then it doesn't. But then the, the Big 12 kind of says, "Well, we want someone else to come with you," but they can't really get somebody else. And then there is some potential for you know, it's kind of like when you take a job and you say, "Hey, I got an offer from another company," and then you go back and ask for a counter offer, and maybe they give you one, but then it's still like, "Are you ever going to be seen the same way again?" Mm-hmm. Right? Like it's if if you make your intentions known, you got to be ready and like willing to go. So maybe, I mean, if Colorado and Arizona go, that would be great for the league because that would give, you know, two more states and it would give more Western, um, you know, it'd give two more states, both in the mountain time zone. It would give more Western content. The, I mean, Arizona is aligned with the Pacific time zone for the first half of the season or two months of the season. And, you know, so I think that would make sense. But what I don't get is how it's related to Oklahoma and Texas leaving in 2024 because well, it makes you wonder, to me, are they going to try to get out even by 2023? Right. That's what I kind of feel because if it's 2024, you're going to have a home and home for your conference schedules with the first half in 23 and the second half in 24. So mm-hmm. unless they're like specifically want like, Oh, we want this to be the farewell tour where the last year that they are here, we want them to play at X, Y, and Z, then that, I guess you could do that, but then you would just be like flip-flopping 23 and 24. And I feel like you could release it. And then if they decided to leave, you could just say like, hey, we are reversing these. Like we are making these changes to the schedule. That's not a big deal, but also what does it really matter? Like if Baylor wants to get one more home game against Texas and Oklahoma, you know, are they, I mean, I guess if you could be trying to consolidate it to where you're going to screw over Texas and Oklahoma for 2023, if you know it's their last year, like instead of Baylor getting Texas at home in 23 and Oklahoma at home in 24, it's like, nope, we're sending both of those schools to Waco next year and both of those schools to Fort Worth. Both of those schools right. are going to Stillwater. And, but you can't really do that for the whole league. So, no. I mean, it, yeah, because even there's eight schools, so it, it's it's just weird to me. So there's, it feels like there's got to be something going because there cannot be just a random thing. But it's yeah, I don't get, I get it for twenty four, but I don't get it for twenty three unless there's somehow a move that is going to be made for twenty twenty three, or at least that is still an option. Like the only thing I can think of is that Texas and Oklahoma, even if they don't end up pulling the trigger, that they are still researching opportunities to try to figure out how can they move next year. Right. And I think that she's going to be really expensive and I don't think they have the money to do it. At least Oklahoma does it because the university is swimming in debt. Texas has money. Oklahoma doesn't have money. I don't think they have the cash to do it, but they still, that, that payment is still an asset, right? I mean, you can sell something 
right? Like the Big 12 could get something. Maybe the SEC pays a buyout or something. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah, the SEC, the SEC could because I think Rutgers had some sort of buyout or Rutgers had something where they had a bunch of debt that was taken on by the Big 10 and the Big mm-hmm. 10 paid off their debt or something related. I don't remember what exactly it was, but Rutgers, like I think this year is like the first year that they're actually getting a full Big 10 payout because they like the Big 10 loaned them money for something and they just paid it out. They got the payment back by just taking it out of their distribution. So even if it is like $75 million with, if each school is going to be getting $80 million more a year and they don't have the cash, the SEC can, the other school, whatever, can front the money or find a bank. There is a bank out there who will underwrite it. Does the Longhorn Network still exist? Yes, but I believe ESPN is shutting it down as part of is part of the it's part uh, of all of this, right? But it does so still it could be part of it. That could be part of it. Maybe is that selling wanting to announce the, the sell, maybe not selling the rights to the network, but if the Longhorn Network gets rebranded into the Big Twelve Network, since we just signed a new contract with ESPN, and so they're saying, hey, we want to have stuff on here, and because there may be games on a newly rebranded Big Twelve Network as part of our package versus putting games on ESPN Plus or some right. of the games, whatever, then maybe they're saying, hey, we want to be able to announce that these five games are going to be done on the Big 12 network. And that is going to be part of the rebranding. And the reported news about them leaving early was that ESPN and Fox were like helping broker the deal between the two. So I could see that getting ESPN to continue to support a Big 12 network may be part of that negotiation to let Texas and Oklahoma out a year early or maybe some, you know, a slightly smaller buyout. And then have, because I mean, whatever ESPN Plus is, I don't know how that factors into the deal, but maybe they're saying, hey, we want to try to do this Big 12 thing. And then the league itself will get, you know, some portion of like, and that thing is run on a rev share. So the league is taking more risk, but it's also, there's more upside for, based on viewership for that, um, you know, for that channel to, if they continue to do well. So it's just very sus. Everything is sus. Yeah. Everything feels weird. And when you when you start to put all of those things together, it feels like something is afoot. I don't know what something means. There's a lot of different scenarios that something could be, but something is afoot. I think we know that. What the most likely, what I would say like 75 plus percent chance, 80 plus percent, is that nothing ends up happening and they just release the schedule. There's no big splashy announcement. There's no announcement that Texas and Oklahoma are leaving early. There's no announcement that like the Longhorn Network is becoming the Big 12 Network. There's no announcement that the SEC is lending money, whatever, like or doing some t- sort of payout, whatever it is. There, none of that. And they are... And then it's just going to be a normal announcement. And then people will be mad that it's just a normal announcement. Like this was originally supposed to be done in October. And now we waited five months for this and we can't do this. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, and so all of that is like, well, you still don't know what happened behind the scenes and what options were on the table, right? Like nothing you see publicly is ever the full story remotely of what happened behind closed doors. And so whatever it is, I hope they figure it out soon because February 1st feels, I mean, it feels like it's a long way away, but you also, nobody's working between now and after the college football playoff. 
So that's three weeks right there. And then you only have two and a half weeks till the February 1st anyway. So it's kind of like February 1st seems like really far away, but it's kind of like a, a two week pause. Cause who really works between November 15th when you take off for Thanksgiving and new year's like you're working, Bankers. but you're not working. Bankers do. Yeah. Of all the days I get to take off throughout the year, I don't, this is the worst time to be a banker. Because while the rest really? of the world shuts down between Christmas and New Year's, banking still exists. And it's kind of sort of busy. Right. It's annoying that they should, well, especially you have like, you, you should figure out a bank that has slots. Like, so you're busy, right? But it's like your year end is like, you're saying like, okay, we can have this position. Like you want a business checking account. Uh, your fiscal year is going to run from May to April because we're not we're not stacking everybody up. Because I mean, like our fiscal year, nice. my company now, we run February to January, so that way we can be offset, so we don't have to do a quarter close over New Year's. Like, so we offset by one month, which is decently common. But you know, it's you, and you have the people that do the October, like run on the government fiscal calendar. But it's this January to January stuff. No, that's not it. Like, no, nobody wants to be working you know, to try to get their stuff filed by January 5th. Screw that. Um, I don't think this is breaking news. It's been out for an hour, but I am just seeing it right now. Kind of in line with what we're talking about, Stuart Mandel in October, Brett Yormark said definitively, OU and Texas will remain in the Big 12 until 2025. Now multiple officials within the conference tell the Athletic there will be an agreement for them to leave in 2024. Quote, in a matter of weeks, not months. So, so that would... Uh, okay, so let me see here. Uh, I just saw this article from Mandel, Max Olson, and Andy Staples. Wow, so they got literally everybody is working on this. Yeah, so multiple sources have confirmed to The Athletic that discussions have been ongoing for several months regarding the Red River rivals leaving the Big 12. Big 12 officials held a meeting last week in Las Vegas and in the portion of the meeting in which Texas Athletic Director Chris Del Conte and Oklahoma Athletic Director Joe Castiglione uh, were recused because officials were discussing future business momentum, in quotes, emerged for an early exit according to an administrator within the SEC. An admin within the Big 12 confirmed that the tone of the league regarding the topic shifted following the meeting. They're definitely engaged on it and moving towards something where they will leave after next season. It's likely they are leaving early, said a person with knowledge of the discussions. One Big 12 official said he believes that there will be a resolution in a matter of weeks, not months, and they may that the issue may be contributing to a delay in releasing the league's 2023 football schedule. That official echoed others who have this been earlier. This is a really long article. Yeah, I, that's like one page. So it's so I don't know, like. So two Big 12 ADs expressed confidence a deal would be reached. Simply put, they need OU and Texas to agree to a high enough exit fee to make the remaining members and their network partners whole. A person with the knowledge of the discussions believes they'll get there. The compensation for leaving early would cancel out a gap that exists in their television deals for the remaining eight that were original Big 12 members. A noteworthy landmark is fast approaching. Per Big 12 bylaws, a member must give an 18-month notice of its departure date. That would leave... That would the letter that letter would have to arrive by December thirty first to if they intended to join the SEC. No, it doesn't. It doesn't need to come by December thirty first. That's what the bylaw no. says. But if they're already going to agree to a settlement, they will move the date however far they need to move it. Um, so it's yeah. I think I just don't I, do, I just don't get how this would affect the twenty twenty three thing unless you know 
they are going to give. But even then, how do you play favorites? Because you can't give everybody in one year, you can't give everybody home games against Texas right. and Oklahoma. So you're either of them. So how do you play favorites to try to cram both of them at home for certain schools? Or do you, you know, it, it's just, it doesn't really make sense and add up. Cause even if you took out TCU and West Virginia as the new guys, you still have, there's, well, I guess if you did that, you could move it. Cause if you took out TCU and West Virginia, then you'd have eight schools, but then Texas and Oklahoma. So there'd be, uh, there'd be like what, six other original big eight, you know, Southwest schools that would need games. And there's not that many away games for in the league for them to go, unless they did six away games and three home games for in conference play. Which maybe yeah, maybe Texas and Oklahoma would agree to that, and that's what they're trying to figure out, which would be hilarious, but all and funny. But maybe the other schools are saying, "Hey, we want the TV money, and we need you to be able to let us bump our prices." Because if that's actually because because then if you said, "Okay, who's the rest of like Kansas, Kansas State, Baylor, Tech, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State all got home games against both schools next year." they could raise their season ticket prices and they will never come back down. Like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's you're a lot of, we have the and the Longhorns coming. That's gotta be like the only reason is that they're trying to say, Hey, we want some scheduling concessions for next year too. And we're not going to make your last year easy in exchange for letting you out of your early too. That's gotta be part of it. That's the only have, logical yeah, reason to delay that. Like, cause that otherwise you just scrap the schedule and make a new one in 2024. I have no idea. I mean, it could be it could be anything to me. Like it could be they're trying to figure out where the money's coming from with the SEC, or how is Oklahoma which boosters are going to pay the reduced but still expensive fee. I mean, so there, there there's a lot of scenarios. But suffice to say, a lot of I don't know options, a lot of buzz, a lot of a lot of something, a lot of something is afoot. I mean, it could be. Yeah. Uh, a lot hey, of something is afoot. A lot of something is afoot. It could be something like, hey, look, we will let you leave early, but you got to pay whatever it's going to take to get Gonzaga in the conference, whatever they got to do with the WCC. That's coming out of your pocket. One million dollar buyout. <laughs> uh, whatever it is. Uh, yeah. It could be Colorado. Whatever. Hey, whatever Colorado's got to do because they missed the notification timeline with the Pac-12. If that's going to happen... Oh, you, you're good. Texas, you're going to facilitate it. I mean, there's a million scenarios that I think it could, could be. Also, it could also guessing. be too that if the Gonzaga conversations are far enough, are very, are actually far down the road, where now they need to engage with ESPN and Fox, not just about okay, what is this buyout going to look like for 2024, but also we want to add Gonzaga into the schedule maybe for next year. So we need to. Like, you know, there needs to be some amendment to the TV deal and they want to do that in one shot rather than having to like do the buyout and then add Gonzaga back and creating a, a, you know, more work to figure out. A lot of different scenarios that it could be for sure. Um, All of this started with talking about the game, but I really don't want to go back to the game. I don't really care about the game. The only thing I want to say is that... (sighs) I, I get that the like the UAB game last year left this sour taste in everybody's mouth because you know re- regardless of what happened in the season, the Pac-12 undefeated against the Pac-12, six and one or whatever against Power Five schools, that UAB game is what was talked about throughout the off season. So 
from that respect, yeah, I'd love to beat SMU, beat them in somewhat convincing fashion, just so that there's a more positive narrative going forward. But this game could not mean any less, right? I mean, let's let's say BYU gives up 75 points and it's a clear uh, defensive kerfuffle. Well, okay, they fired the coordinators. Like, what what do you care, right? Like, what is there to talk about or or draw from that kind of a performance? This game really is pointless. This game is pointless. And I'm afraid this is the only thing, you, you kind of alluded to it, this is the only thing I really want to talk about with this game. This does feel like the first year that, whether it's TV networks, whether it's the NCAA, whether it's the, the conferences, they've got to be looking around at each other and saying, okay, look, bowl games are already pretty pointless. We're expanding the playoff. They're only going to get infinitely more pointless going forward. So... What do we do with this? Are you really going to still have a 12-team playoff that that's what everybody's shooting for and everybody has relatively fair access to get into? Are you still going to send teams to the New Mexico Bowl? Because I I just can't see... Players are opting out now, but I I wonder if we get to a point where you know most teams lose money in bowl games. Like, do teams just start to opt out? You know, like, does a 9-3 and Illinois one year just say you know what we're 14th we didn't make the playoff uh spare me your alamo bowl i don't care i think it could do that so even i mean most bowls like bowl season there's 42 bowls right now 17 of them are owned by espn so bowl season is largely propped up and i bet you those bowls are most of the ones where the teams are losing money because you know they're the lower tier bowls whatever um I don't know that, yeah, how many of those really it makes sense to do it because it's, I mean, the Bulls are not going to be, even in the 12 team playoff, the Bulls are not going to be like the opening rounds the way that they are currently the semi, um, you know, rotate as the semi. So it's going to be, those are going to be on campus. You're not like, I don't know, are they, have they said that like the second round, like the quarterfinals, are those going to be hosted by Bulls where it's like well, maybe some of the. <laughs> Like like the Outback, the Alamo, the Liberty, um, yeah, like the they, Music they City, the Citrus Bowl. Like, are those bigger bowls going to serve as the quarters? Yet. They haven't confirmed officially yet, but the, there is a, a growing push that no, that you would play. Because if you're, if you're one of those first four seeds, right, and you get that first round bye, you want a home game. And so if you get a first round bye, that's great. But now I got to go travel to California to play in the, the, the you know, whatever bowl. Uh, no, if I'm going to have a first round bye, I want to have the first round bye. And then I want that extra home game that my competitor just got so that I can have that extra revenue and all that crap that comes with the home game. So yeah. I, I think they haven't officially confirmed anything, but I, I would imagine that the schools win out in that argument and that those quarterfinals are home games so even then that still leaves like you're gonna have i mean what of the new year six like what do they even care about because now instead of like the new year six then if they don't do that the new year six is dead because they're gonna go through a rotation but because like with a expanded playoff even if you look at like say you know the rose like whatever the off team things are where it's like oh it's the orange bowl or the sugar bowl if they're not mm-hmm. hosting the semifinal, 
the two teams who would play there will now be in the playoff and they will be excluded right. from those. Unless what are they going to do? Do that bowl game after the fact where it's like, Oh, we're going to take the teams that lost in the first round and then still give them a new year six game. Like it's the whole bowl season is going to get flipped on its head and it's going to get pushed around. Like it's going to, it, it just becomes increasingly meaningless and it's the portal is done. Now you have coaches moving. It's like, you always had weird situations with the lame duck coach, but now you've got lame duck players and like teams are, you know, missing out where it, honestly just feels like a clear the bench and get ready for next year and kind of see what you got coming back. And it's like, just exclude it from everything. Cause it's like, well, if we lose tomorrow, it will not change one bit how I feel about this season. Or if we win tomorrow, it will not to me. It's like no, the season ended with Stanford. We don't have a defensive coaching staff. We don't, we're down to our third, fourth or fifth string and, and, quarterback and, playing. Like it's, I don't want to interrupt you, but as we're talking about this, it's like Twitter is listening to us as we go. I'm seeing this pop up now that the NCAA has issued a one-time blanket waiver in FBS football to exempt postseason participation from the limit of four contests. The student athlete may participate in without using a season of competition. The blanket waiver is applicable to FBS postseason games that occur after December 15th. So that waiver is, for all intents and purposes, saying bowl games are pointless. We're not even going to count those towards red shirts. So, it's which is good. I, now. I actually, uh, that exact thing, I was talking to Bud Elliott the other day and he, and we talked about that same exact thing when I was of how it needs to stop count because they don't like bulls are just worthless. And I was like, are, you know, what is going on at other things? And he's like other schools. And he's like, everybody's checked out. Like, this is not when you think of like the apathy around like the BYU fan base, what you felt about the game, not even knowing who the starting quarterback is going to be all of those things. Those are not BYU like specific or unique no, at all to BYU everybody. right now. That is that yeah. is every school, uh, and it's what's a damn shame is that the only starting at about kicking off in twenty minutes is probably one of if not the most exciting bowl matchup if you are a true college football degenerate, and that is Troy and South and UTSA who are both eleven and two and one conference USA in the Sun Belt. They're the only, that is the only bowl game this season putting two conference champions against each other <laughs> that's kind of funny. it's like but it's at one o'clock on a friday and it's like it's not even like what you're saying like what does espn do like what are we going to do to make bulls exciting and how to bring them back it's like even though currently they still don't hype it's like they just shove all the games over like come on at least flex that to be 6 p.m so people can watch it right like if you're gonna yeah. like let if you want it which also i don't know because there's nothing else there's no late game tonight so why don't why wouldn't you flex that into the the primetime slot to try to get some people to tune in and be like, oh, hmm, maybe I'll flip into a couple G five games next year, right? And make yourself more money next season. Like try to do something. I mean, it probably won't make much, but it uh, it just seems like even the networks don't care about bowl season. Uh, I don't think anybody does. I really don't think anybody does. The only thing I care about right now, as it relates to BYU football, is recruiting in the transfer portal. We are in the middle of Portal Palooza. It is a crazy time, uh, but it doesn't feel like there's a crazy time. Now, I want to set some expectations. So the early signing period opens up on Wednesday, and BYU's still in the mix for guys like Malachi Riley, LJ Martin, you know, four-star dudes who are going to make a difference. Um, I like where BYU is at with their JUCO and high school recruiting efforts so far. 
And so Wednesday should be a pretty good day. But the transfer portal is really what everybody is looking at right now. BYU has had, I don't know, five or six guys leave. Um, and, and we got to talk. We talked a little bit about the Utah stuff last week. I think we need to talk about that. But we'll come back to Utah stuff this week a little bit later. Uh, BYU's had five or six guys leave. I would imagine that after tomorrow's game, you see three or four more leave. And so BYU will end up being kind of middle of the pack in the country that you'll have you know, eight, nine, ten guys that actually officially enter the transfer portal, and then a bunch of seniors that, like Braden Cosper, just decide that they're not going to come back. BYU's got to fill those those roster spots with guys who are going to contribute. The transfer portal is the best way to do that. Now, the expectations, because on every website, every Twitter, every time I open Twitter, everything that I run where people have access to me, I'm getting this question of, well, where's so-and-so at with this transfer, you know, blah, blah, blah. What's the latest with this transfer? Has BYU reached out to so-and-so? The transfer portal recruiting is vastly different than high school recruiting. You're, you're seeing guys that are, are tweeting out their visits and, you know, they're doing the photo shoots. And a lot of these are guys that didn't get to do that their first round because they were part of that 2020, 2021 recruiting class where, where things were shut down because of COVID. Um, so you're seeing a little bit of it, but for the most part, things in the transfer portal happen quietly, they happen quickly, and we don't really know until there's an announcement. An example is, uh, what's his name? Will Farron, who, uh, he's a punter, so I mean, obviously we're not paying a ton of attention to kickers anyways, but he entered the transfer portal from Boise State, quietly visited BYU, and then just tweeted out yesterday, hey, I'm coming home. He's from Kaysville, Utah, so he's coming home. He's transferring to BYU. That happened. Nobody even knew that he was on the radar. That's the way that the transfer portal, generally speaking, works. It, it, it is quiet, and it is quick. And it's really interesting to because see Because most is- guys are transferring, well, Maybe it's a little different. Maybe this year is different because of like the whole NIL thing, but it's like, usually it was a guy who was looking for more playing time. So it's kind of like, there's very few like big splash, like, oh my gosh, who's going to get him? You know, like how it was with like Caleb Williams last year. But even then everyone knew that Caleb Williams was going to go to USC. Like there was never a doubt about that, but it's the, I mean, it's been ho-hum because what of the guys who've entered the portal, We've seen Tate Romney and Jacob Conover went, but they already knew. Everyone knew where they were going to transfer before they go. Yeah, uh, the, the their big, high school the big shocker, right? The big coacher, the big shocker here. Well, I don't know why I said coacher. That's not even a word. The big <laughs> shocker here is uh, Dallin Holker ending up at Colorado State, which I don't. I think everyone would have expected either Baylor or Utah for that one. And he then Campbell Barrington went to Utah just last weekend. And I know yeah. that he was at Baylor a couple of weekends ago. So uh, I don't know. I don't, I'm not going to speculate what happened there because I don't know. But weird. It, it's unfortunate for him. Um, but the which to me, I mean, if you're going to go play in the Mountain West, why don't you go to San Diego? Like, why are you going now, to Fort I, Collins? I, I would. I mean, he is going to play. Uh, he didn't play with Jackson Brousseau at, at Lehigh. Brousseau was younger. But Jackson mm-hmm. Rousseau is also going to Colorado State. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of similarities between that Lehigh offense and what Matt Mummy runs at uh, Colorado State. I don't know if Colorado State is going to win very many games. I have they're probably not. But Matt Mummy 
that offense would be fun to be a receiver in. That much I will say. Because all they're going to do, I mean, it's it's Mike Leach. I mean, it's it's how Mummy's kid, right? Like, it's right. the the inventor of the air raid offense. Not not BYU. Not B- BYU that was more of a West Coast offense that liked to throw the ball. We're talking true air raid offense. The inventor of it, his son, is the offensive coordinator. It would be fun to be a receiver. They may never win a game, but but Dallin Olker's going to put up crazy numbers. He's going to put up crazy numbers, and he may never win a game, but it's given their other talent. And we talked about this too when we talked about like the, the kind of reduction in tight end production that rhymed of in this year's like when have we ever had a receiving core this deep? Like we have Chase mm-hmm. Roberts and Brandon Cosper who are faster than all the tight ends, so we don't need to flex a tight end out to be a big bodied receiver. Colorado right. State isn't going to have that luxury, so it's not that. Dallin Holger can be the starting tight end in Fort Collins. He's also probably going to be their second or third best wide receiver, even though he's a step too slow to be a real wide receiver. Like he can be, yeah, he can be the guy, which is fine. I mean, it's Trey McBride went in the second round out of Colorado state. He was the top tight end onto the board last year. Um, And then Cole Turner played. So Matt mummy just got to Colorado state this last year. So he didn't coach McBride, but he coached Cole Turner the year before at Nevada and Cole Turner put up, you know, 600 yards and was drafted in the fifth round as a tight end. So Colorado state has proven that you can, Hey, you could go to the NFL as a tight end out of Fort Collins. And Matt mummy has proven that his offense can get people to the NFL as a tight end. It makes a lot of sense. Now there is something to be said though, the way that he did it, the way that he like transferred, right? Like quit midseason and transferred. And then now to go to a place where it's pretty clear that he just wants numbers. I don't want to say he just wants numbers, but there's an argument to be made. It, it's kind of on brand. Like the, the way well, he it, dipped and then the school he ended up going to, it kind of seems like he's chasing stats in hopes of parlaying that into an NFL chance, which is right. fine. But, but you the don't NFL need wants to crazy win at the end of the day. Yeah. And it just feels like that's going to be a problem. I don't know. So the, yeah, I don't. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. Like what he, it seems a lot like, yeah, that was, he was chasing the stats, but even then, if you have 400 yards in the big 12 as a tight end, or you have 900 yards in the big 12 or in the mountain West as a tight end, that's not going to change your draft stock, especially as a tight end, because the NFL, like they're going to look at you. They're going to see who is, you know, what, who you're playing against, and really, they're just going to look at your body. Are you big enough? Are you fast enough? Can you block, which is right. probably the biggest thing. And then they're going to look and be like, okay, well, this dude was a good receiver, and he got open, but his quarterback didn't see him. Or his you know, his coordinator didn't set him up a bunch, but he's still like, it's still projecting on talent. Like Even though, I mean, it's a lot like high school kids, right? Like You look at a guy like Keanu Hill, Dude, his numbers in high school were awful because he played at Euless Trinity where they throw the ball like four times all season. But you take that into consideration as you evaluate them and say, well, what are they going to do at the next level? And there's also in the same reason you see guys that put up crazy numbers in high school and college. You know, you see guys like Jackson Brousseau put up insane numbers at Lehigh, 
but he never like he's ending up at Colorado state. He didn't get, you know, P five offers because he, you know, the projection, despite his stats of how he's going to be at the next level is very different. And you look at like Arch Manning only completed like 52% of his passes this year. Same with Ryder Burton, very similar numbers actually. And he like, but he's the number one quarterback in the class because of what they're projecting with the last little, they don't really like stats may get you someone to watch your tape because you're like, Oh, who's this kid at Colorado state that put up 1200 yards as a tight end. Let me watch his film. But that's not stats are not going to, or not what gets you drafted. Um, yeah. You know who had really awful high school stats? Jaron Hall. He was not very good uh, at Maple Mountain. Let me actually, uh, Jaron Hall football stats, Maple Mountain. Okay, his senior year, Jaron Hall, uh, 97 completions, 183 attempts, 1,300 yards. So 53% completions, 13 touchdowns, eight interceptions. And then he had... Uh, 75 carries for 387 yards and four more scores. So his career in high school, he completed 52% of his passes, had 52 touchdowns and 25 interceptions. Not so, great. He yeah. turned out pretty great. High school's tough, it's, especially the quarterback spot. It's a really weird spot to evaluate. And it, it, anyway, same for the NFL. Uh, so transfer portal, that's really what we're all watching. Um, I, it's out there now, so I think we can talk about it. Keaton Slovis has visited BYU. Drew Pine has visited BYU. Um, of the two, I know that there are, are others. I don't know who's been on visits and who's not. Um, but basically, if there's a if there's a quarterback who's hit the transfer portal, BYU's evaluated them, and they're trying to bring in as many as they can. So it's probably a safe assumption that if there haven't been more visits yet, they are trying to get more visits. But we know of Drew Pine and we know of Keaton Slovis, so we'll start there. Um, of the two, I think that Keaton Slovis maybe is the better quarterback. Well, let's let's talk about this. Let's talk about each of them individually first and then kind of what it means for BYU. Because I think that there's a notion around Keaton Slovis. Like I, I remember when we broke that news on on Give Him Hell Brigham on our Discord server a little while ago. The immediate reaction was like, "Oh, Keaton Slovis sucks." Uh, look, Keaton Slovis wasn't great at Pitt, but Keaton Slovis at USC and and BYU's offense is a lot more close to like that Graham Harrell offense than it is to what Pitt was running. Uh, that was very pro style. In fact, I think their offensive coordinator, his, whose, whose name is escaping me, I think he came, I think he's an NFL guy. And so it's a tough offense to learn on the fly. But BYU, their offense is a lot closer to that Graham Harrell spread, timing-based, short passes, and then be able to convert on the deep, the, the deep ball off of you know play action or whatever. Caden Slovis is nails in that offense. Like his his right. worst years, he didn't get beat out by Jackson Dart because he sucked. He got beat out because he got hurt, and then Jackson Dart came in and played great, and they just rolled with Jackson Dart. But Caden Slovis still completed, you know, 63, 64 some odd percent of his passes. Uh, he he was very, very good. I think that Caden Slovis in BYU's offense, right? Keaton Slovis in maybe Utah's offense, I wouldn't be very excited. Keaton Slovis in BYU's offense, that's a quarterback that can win a lot of games for you next year. I like Keaton Slovis in BYU's offense. I, I having said all of that, I would take Drew Pine because you only get one year of Keaton Slovis. 
and then you're doing this song and dance again next year. Uh, Drew Pine, if I'm not mistaken, has three years left to play, maybe just two, depending on how he uses his COVID year. Drew Pine will be here for a little while. Um, Keaton Slovis maybe gets you an extra win next year over Drew Pine, but Drew Pine would stick around, you know, provided things go well and he enjoys his experience. He would stick around for a little bit. And I like the idea of Drew Pine being the guy who, frankly, we we all hoped Jacob Conover would be, right? The big, yeah. big talent out of high school that is the transition quarterback that gets you into the Big 12 and kind of bridges that gap before hopefully you land, you know, an Isaac Wilson or somebody like that in this 2024 class. You need that bridge quarterback. Conover proved he wasn't that guy. Drew Pine would basically come in with a very similar resume out of high school, have actual playing experience at the college level, and really just fit right into the track that everybody hoped uh, Conover would be. So the thing that I don't get about like hating on Pine and Slovis is it's, you know, like what is, it's a crapshoot, right? Like it's a lot, so much of it is like system fit, relationship with your coaches, your receivers. There's so many variables that go into good QB play, but Slovis and Pine have both proven that they can play at a high enough level. Does that mean that they're going to be an magically be an all American next year? No. Have they shown that they can get the job done with the right, in the right scenarios? 100%. And that's really all from a quarterback perspective. That is like all in recruiting that you can ask for. And then anything right. above that is like, that's gravy. Like that is you, the magic happened and everything clicked, but like you can't project all of this and project exactly how someone's going to play in a system. I did have, you know, I was on um, talking to, uh, well, Gurney was substituting in for Ben Criddle the other day and I hopped on 960 and, you know, they asked Hunter Miller was on the show too. And he asked, you know, how, what about Jaron Hall? And I said, and then Ben tweeted this out and some people got mad at me, you know, so, cause I said I was indifferent about Jaron Hall returning and as if that was like a slight or that I think that, you know, Drew Pine or Keaton Slovis would be better. And that's not it at all. It's like, I feel like Jaron Hall has given everything he needs to give to BYU. Like I'm indifferent because if he decides to come back, great. But if he decides to leave, it's not like, I don't think he's making a dumb mistake. I don't think he's screwing BYU over. Like it's, it is a, at a point where it's like it, he's been in the program for so long that it makes sense if he's like, yeah, it's time for me to go. Then it's like, it's fine. Right. Like it's not some big middle finger to us or whatever. The only thing that absolutely cannot happen is that Jaron Hall is still up in the air. Maybe he's trying to talk to people about some NIL deals, whatever, is that he is, it's up in the air and he's trying to see uh, what he wants to do. And then guys like Keaton Slovis and Drew Pine are like, well, look, I got to make a decision because I need to enroll in school and be moved in to my new apartment in two weeks from now for when classes start. So I don't have time to wait on Jaron Hall to make up his mind anymore. I'm going somewhere else. And then we end up with no Jaron Hall and no Keaton Slovis and no Drew Pine. That would, or right. whoever yep. else it is. That is the worst possible scenario. And that's what absolutely cannot happen. And that's what I'm saying. Like A-Rod and Kalani, they need to give Jaron a deadline. Like, and that may seem messed up because it's like, oh, well, he's a multi-year starter. He's going to have a chance to be a senior quarterback, this, that, whatever. I don't like, it still doesn't matter because he cannot drag his feet on the decision if it's going to hurt the program. It doesn't matter what he's done in the past. He cannot 
he cannot withhold progress moving forward and affect personnel decisions of other people if like he needs to he needs to make that decision and i imagine he's close to i mean i don't know how he he's had to have been making this decision all season i, I like, think the decision is made I think the decision is made, but we've all seen how Kalani has kind of dodged the whole could he play, could he not play in the bowl game kind of stuff up until really yesterday. Uh, the coaching staff has, has tried to deliver this message of like optimism that he was going to play. Um, right. I, I, I can't help but wonder if it's a little bit of gamesmanship. And by this time next week, we already know. Um, maybe by like Sunday or Monday. We already know. I I think the decision for, I mean, barring some like crazy circumstance where somebody comes in and says, hey, Jaron, stay at BYU. You'll be the face of Vivint and we'll pay you $10 million. You know, barring something nuts, I I think the decision has been made. And that's pure speculation, but I I can't imagine he's gone this long and doesn't know. It's now just like when to announce. So... I don't know. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, running backs. We've we've seen running backs uh, have come to BYU. Daniel Mata would be great. Aiden Robbins, old friend. Aiden Robbins. Uh, Aiden Robbins should have been at BYU all along. When when he came, he originally signed with Louisville. It was kind of his hometown school. He came to BYU on an official back then, and he loved it. Um, in fact, I remember I was co-hosting 960. You bring it up. I was co-hosting 960 with Mitch Harper, and we interviewed Aiden. Uh, on the show and as soon as we hung up with Aiden we both went to commercial break looked at each other and was like oh that's a BYU guy and ultimately he didn't sign with BYU signed with Louisville was part of that whole you know Scott Satterfield mess where Louisville was flirting with Jeff Brom all along and Satterfield was a mess and blah 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 he got out of there last year didn't really play but the I mean that was a circus anybody look at Louisville they're they're a hot mess right now and Louisville, or excuse me, Aiden Robbins goes to UNLV, and all that he does at UNLV is run for nearly five yards a carry and a thousand yards. Right? I mean, he he played very very well. Now he's back in the portal, and that looks like a red flag, right? This is his second transfer, but he is a grad transfer. He got his degree quick. He's got two years left, and really, UNLV was a restore his credibility as a football player type of a move, right? Because Louisville had kind of ruined things for him, and he gets back onto the radar. Comes to BYU. He's also visiting UCLA. I would expect an announcement to come in the next couple of days. I like where BYU's at. And and if Aiden Robbins were to come to BYU, it's three years late, but he would be a, a very big boost to that backfield. Daniel Nata is at uh, Washington right now. I, I think a lot of people think it's BYU or Washington. Um, I would probably lean Washington more than I would say it's BYU, but could be. The Arizona State transfer, uh, BYU fans may remember him. He played for Arizona State during that game in 2021, and really he was the offense. BYU had that game under control, and Daniel Nada came in in the second half and really kind of took over. Let's actually see what he did, uh, his game log. It was definitely for... the best game of his career. He's so been he... kind of a backup guy. Yeah, so eight. Uh, yeah, so he had forty-five last year. He had forty-five carries for two hundred eighty-six yards and three scores. And of that, it was he had eight carries for eighty-two yards and a touchdown yeah. in Provo last year. 
He's got the skills. His stats aren't going to blow anybody away, but it's the transfer portal. It's the same that we talked about with quarterbacks. Like Nobody wanted Bo Nix last year. If we would have said Bo Nix is transferring to BYU, people would have crapped all over that idea because he was not good at Auburn. Man, I wish we had a Bo Nix in the pipeline. You know what I mean? Like The transfer portal is different. And, and, and recruiting it is different. So, so you can't just rely solely on previous stats. You look at fit and you look at how they'll be used. And I think that Daniel Nata, he's an elite pass catcher. A lot of, a lot of teams out of high school actually looked at him as a slot receiver because he's, he's got that ability. Uh, he's bulked up. He plays at like 210. So he's like 5'8", 210 now. I mean, he's a, he's a big ball of just muscle. Uh, he's fun. And BYU would be able to do a lot of things. He he's kind of like remember Aleva Aleva Hifo, right? Like he was a receiver, yeah. obviously, but he did some things out of the backfield too. He's kind of like the inverse of Aleva that that he's going to be running back first, but he's going to do a lot of the the same kind of stuff. Uh, Daniel Mata would be great in this BYU offense. Yeah, um, other guys, it, Isaiah Bogna is my he's a dog out of Boise State, played for K-pop, led the team in sacks last year. It's another guy to keep an eye on. I So there's movement. All of this is to say it's kind of been quiet, but there's a lot of movement in the transfer portal. Yep. So he, I mean, he's had a, he, he got, Bugna got hurt this year, right? Because last year he had uh, 36 tackles of six sacks and got less playing time. But then this year he, uh, he's only had 10 tackles. So in yep. one sack. So I think he got hurt. Um, for a lot like of really early season. on, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So he, let me even try to look at his, um, 2020 role. Um, let me, his, the Boise state's website sucks and they actually don't have their 2022 stats this year at all. Yeah. So he played, he had 10 tackles. So he had five in week one, three in week two, and then he missed two games came back 9.30, like in week five, came back and, or week six, four, came back and, um, yeah, week five. And then he played on September 30th, then didn't play again until uh, October 22nd. And so yeah. he only played in four games this season. So he was always, I mean, and even when he was playing, the the last few games that he played this year, the weeks five, six, and eight, he only played you know less than, Less than 30 reps per game. I mean, he wasn't but, playing very much, so. Yeah, so he, uh, I mean, he probably, it's, he's got his COVID year, so he should have, what, two years of eligibility re- remaining? Um, I believe because he's, so. Yeah, because he's this, if he didn't redshirt in 2019, which he looks like he did, either way, he redshirted and he only played in four games in 2022, so this year would count as a redshirt. So he's got between one redshirt and the COVID year, it looks like he will have two to play two. And he's a dog, man. I mean, the guy gets after it. And, and this is the other thing with the transfer portal that I feel like BYU fans are kind of looking at these. They're looking at these names and seeing, you know, like, well, let's take Keaton Slovis just because that's a name that everybody knows. And it's like, oh, no, like, we can do better than Keaton Slovis. Like, oh, no, he's not great. Well, guys, you're not comparing Keaton Slovis to just, like, you know, DJ Uyongalale. Like, that's not the option. You're comparing Keaton Slovis to... Cade Fennigan and, and, and Sol J. Mayava, right? I mean, at, at certain positions, you've got to get your baseline up. If you can hit a home run, great, but you also got to get your baseline up. And Isaiah Bogna is that guy. Somebody asked me, like, he's got a lot of lower-level G5 offers. Why would BYU be entertaining him? 
well, look, he's got production. He's familiar with K-pop. He's got the size. He's got the speed that you think he could probably do better than he has been. But you're also comparing him to BYU's pass rushers, right? BYU doesn't have any. They have Tyler Batty, John Nelson, who plays a very different position than than Isaiah Bogna, even though they're both going to play on the edge. You don't really have that small, quick pass rusher at all on this roster. And so you're you're trying to raise your baseline with an Isaiah Bogna, and he does that. Um, one thing I know about Jay Hill and this defense going into next year, he needs guys that can get off the edge quickly. Isaiah Bogna can do that. Whether they're playing a four-man or a three-man front, they Jay Hill loves to bring guys off the edge in pass rush situations, and you need somebody who's quicker than, you know, I'll do respect to John Nelson. He's not that guy. John Nelson's, you know, 270, right. 270 pounds. He's going to line up with his hand in the dirt. You need a pass rusher. We don't have in the program right now, well, at least that played this year, we do not have a single like true edge rusher. I mean, Daly right. could do that. Bodie's that guy. They redshirted. They weren't, did not play this year. Uh, I kind of wish they would have gotten more run down the stretch. But the, especially Bodie, you know, it's like he was suiting up for games, but we weren't seeing him. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, we didn't have anybody that was like a modern edge guy. No, it just did no. not exist. Right. Like it was John Nelson and Tyler Batty were our best guys, but they, I mean, they're both like classic, classic four, three, like hand in the dirt, run stuffing DN that just is, doesn't really exist in college football anymore. Right. So. Uh, anyway, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff going on in the transfer in, this is a throwback. Do you remember in, uh, 2019 when like the first couple of games of the season, they tried to play Kyrus Tonga as a defensive end. I do remember Uh, that as a nine tech. And it's like, how is this, this is not going to work. And guess what? It didn't, but Uh, it felt a lot like when, when Bronson was an outside linebacker, like it's, it's different than. You know, what we've seen this year from like Fisher and Batty when they have that one package that they drop into coverage a little bit. Like this wasn't that. This was remember, like Bronson was like this six foot nine, two hundred and eighty pound outside linebacker that just was getting cut at the knees all season long and being completely neutralized. That's that's what Kyrus reminded me of playing out wide. Yeah. It's, anyway, it's just a strange, strange like it was overthinking everything. Um, story of the defense. That's everything. Story of the defense. Like if you think that everything was too simple, really, that is not the case. That it was doing the same thing every play. The problem was if they went with the Mike Leach approach of doing the same thing every play, they would have been much more successful because instead it was, well, let's tweak everything slightly every single week to the point where you never really feel quite comfortable of what the hell you're supposed to be doing on this play. Yeah, like let's confuse everybody so much that the only play anybody can execute is the simple play because nobody nobody knows what they're doing. Yeah, so speaking of uh, coaches past, the I don't know if we have talked about it. So obviously Ed Lamb is now the head coach at Northern Colorado. Northern Colorado. Preston Hadley is joining him, likely as the defensive coordinator there, I believe. Uh, and Micah Simon, our guy Micah Simon, he was an analyst at Syracuse this year, working with Dr. Bob and, and Jay Beck, and he has accepted the wide receiver position. So it's always good to see guys from BYU go out and get experience in other programs. I hope that Simon can just be there for a year or two and then get picked up by a random G5 team where he doesn't, you know, it's not, 
kind of riding still along the BYU coaching tree. Like I want him to right. get out and kind of be his own man there and get more experience within the BYU coaching tree. But it's always good to, you know, keep tabs on former players, especially it's a grind when you go from trying to be a GA to getting that first job, it can be a huge hurdle. And even now, like Northern Colorado, like I can't look it up yet because it's probably not in, but pretty much every state has a public employee, you know, salary lookup. Micah Simon's probably working for 30 grand next year. There's not a lot of money going around in Greeley, Colorado to support the Bears, and it's still a grind. I mean, he has a paid job now versus being a student with maybe a small stipend, but he is not making a lot of money. And if he had just gotten a sales job in Silicon in Silicon Slopes and worked in Lehigh like everybody else, he would be making like quadruple what he's going to make <laughs> next year. So yeah. it is definitely he's putting in the grind to be in coaching and not just like, oh, it's I want to coach when it's convenient to me. Yep. So anyway, it's a good show, Garrett. It's a good show. It it is our last. I mean, we'll see. Maybe we will have uh, next week. I don't know. Probably won't be Sunday night, but uh, we'll do like a a post game. We'll do one last post game show, kind of just like as a season in review. We won't maybe talk about the bowl, but it's just a season in review, and then talk about you know what we want to see going forward, and you know who because hopefully we will have some more portal news by this time next week. So Jeff, it has been a good show. I'm sorry that you feel sick. That really sucks. So, but go get some sleep. What what do you have on the menu tomorrow? Are you gonna are you gonna cook it all, or are you just gonna order Dude, pizza? You gonna what are you gonna DoorDash? Probably just order pizza because right now the only thing on the menu is like Robitussin and ibuprofen. So Ugh, we'll find sucks. out. The um, oh, I do have something that you should make. So do you know who Dave Chang is? He's the guy who does the Netflix show Ugly Delicious. He's a chef and he owns like Momofuku. Is like a bunch mm-hmm. of these restaurants, his big restaurants. So. He has a new cookbook and I ordered it and his cookbook is all about like, it's not a traditional cookbook where it's like, here's this recipe, follow this. It's more like, here's how to be a good, like home cook. Like here is like how to, like, if you're just going to wing something and make and throw something together without exact measurements, like here's more of like how to do it, whatever. So in there, he says that he doesn't make, he hates making desserts. And we'll always just buy desserts because he can't just like throw desserts together. You have to be exact when you're baking. And then there's way too many dishes to do afterwards, which I felt that in my soul. So he said the only dessert that he makes, get this, you will so go DoorDash some Krispy Kreme donuts, is he takes puts butter in a frying pan and then takes a glazed donut and just cooks it, like sets it on there like you're cooking a pancake, cooks it on one side until the glaze caramelizes, flips it over, cooks it on the other side, and then puts it in a bowl with a scoop of ice cream on top. And I <laughs> made that last night, and it was incredible. Like, yeah. I, it is the, you know, we've talked before about like how like ribs suck to, and like lasagna sucks to cook because like the payoff with given the amount of work that it is not worth it. This is the ultimate dessert. It is amazing. It takes five minutes to make. You don't have to do anything. There's nothing to really clean up. It is the it was the perfect quick dessert. So go everybody, go order. And I've told literally everyone I've talked to this week about anything food related. I've been telling them to go make this. It is so good. It will change your life. So go get some. I I used Krispy Kremes that I just got from like Walmart just because they have you know so much glaze on the outside that I was like this is perfect for this. It was fantastic. So Dave Chang, thank you again for making my life a better place because That's I funny. discovered this donut hack. So one last thing that I want to share, 
and this is about Jay Hill, because I somehow missed this. Eddie Heckard is a cornerback for uh, Weber State. Okay, Eddie Heckard came to B or not to BYU. Eddie Heckard came to Weber State by way of Desert Pines High School. He was a five ten junior or five ten cornerback. Had no real offers, no real recruiting attention. Came to Weber State. He is now foregoing his senior year and play or declaring for the NFL draft. The hell? I, l- let me just walk you through. An FCS cornerback, yeah, is foregoing his senior year to do this. So he had he finished the year sixty eight total tackles, one sack, two interceptions, seven He's- pass breakups. He's going to get drafted. He shuts down like one side of the ball or one side of the field. Eddie Heckard is unreal. Jay Hill, this is like he pulled up to, this is one thing I know. He pulled up all of the Weber State guys that he's got to the NFL with the, with the, the roster, like the existing roster at BYU once he got the job. He's got more defensive secondary players in the NFL than BYU does out of Weber State. Yeah. So actually, I so just, just pulled it up. Excited, so folks. Eddie Heckard and the other starting corner for Weber, Maxwell Anderson, they were yeah. uh, both named to the AP All America FCS second team. So yeah, they're very good. And, um, and Heckard's going pro, but man, if Maxwell Anderson would like find his way 70 miles to the south, woo, that would be a win for BYU. Uh, I would believe it. I mean, it's that's the thing. I there's a couple guys on that Weaver defense that I would 100% take and would 100% be an upgrade over what we have now because it's very different. You know, when you're pulling an FCS guy versus a high school player, like high school, there's so much variance in terms of competition and who a kid played against and what's going on around them and how other teams can scheme against them, whatever. But FCS, like that's better than Juco ball. And oh, yeah. it's like you are so if you can pull in a coach with and if Jay Hill can see the guys in practice this week and then be like, now we're going to bring in four or five guys from Weber. That is fine. Like, and it sucks that you have to go scrape from an FCS team, but it doesn't matter if like, if it is an improvement, it's an improvement, right? Like you bring them in, it makes it better. Even if they're not big 12 quality, if still, or, you know, are good enough to like build a top half of the big 12 defense. If they're an improvement over the guys you have, you got to come in there and increase the overall talent in the program. And there's dudes at Weaver that can do that. Yep. Who I hope are formally at Weaver. But Jeff, it has been a good episode. Uh, I hope you feel better. Go take a nap. I will get this published and go give your cold hell. <laughs> I will do my best. Give me <laughs> <hell>. <laughs>